Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, when Joseph's brothers see him cry out that every Egyptian should leave the room, What do you think they were thinking at that point? They were like very afraid and amazed and thinking this is a little different, uh, you know, from the tyrannical, serious, hard stance that this judge has been. He's breaking down now. He's in this uncontrolled cry. And this is kind of like amazing to them and confusing to them. Now, the first thing that he cries out, he, he says, cause every man to go out from me. Now, that's a question. Why do you suppose that Joseph wanted all the Egyptians to leave the room? Okay, first of all, by sending out the Egyptians, it's very interesting, very important. By sending out the Egyptians, Joseph was actually protecting his brothers. He was protecting his brothers. Why? Well, the Egyptians already didn't have a very high opinion of the Jewish people, right? You remember? That from, from chapter 43, verse 32, 43, 32, when at the meal time, they said, um, for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that's an abomination to the Egyptians. So the Egyptians despised, already despised the Jewish people so much that for them to eat bread with a Jewish person was an abomination. Simply put, the Egyptians were anti-Semitic. They hated the Jews. And that meant that the Egyptians would like to have some reasons to further hate the Jews. Now, Joseph is going to say something in verse 4 that they don't know. And he's going to say in verse 4, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, none of the Egyptians know this, that Joseph was their brother and that, that they had sold Joseph as a slave into Egypt. Why? Because Joseph had not advertised that fact. Because Joseph was loving his brothers. And loving his brothers meant that he would do what it says in Proverbs 10.12. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covereth all sins. So Joseph First of all, Joseph was loved by the Egyptians. He had saved their lives, and they knew it. And later on, they're going to come to him and say, thou hast saved our lives. He was their beloved savior of Egypt. So for the Egyptians to hear that some men sold him as a slave would give the Egyptians ammunition to hate those men. And Joseph didn't want that. So we never see Joseph telling the Egyptians that he had no good brothers that sold him into Egypt. Joseph never let that be known 
how he ended up in Egypt. As a matter of fact, even when Joseph was in the prison, Joseph was, we could see he, he was covering their sins and the sins of Potiphar's wife. And he didn't go around and tell people, my, I got no good brothers and that no good Potiphar's wife. She lied and had me thrown into this prison. All Joseph said about what his brothers did to him and what Potiphar's wife did to him was in Genesis 40, verse 14, Genesis 40, 14, when he said to them, the butler, think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. So in describing the incident of his brother selling him, he just says, I was stolen. I was kidnapped out of there. In describing what Potiphar's wife did to him, he just said, I didn't do anything wrong that I should be put into dungeon. Finished. That's the end of it. I'm not telling you anymore. That was how Joseph covered a multitude of sins of his brothers and Potiphar's wife. He refused to get bitter and he refused to get even by telling, by defaming them. So Joseph did not want the Egyptians to hear that his brothers had sold him into slavery. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ doing the same thing as Joseph when he'll be asked in the future, what about those wounds in your hands? How did those come about? And just like Joseph, the Lord Jesus is not going to say, well, you know what? My own people, the Jewish people, they crucified me. That's what happened. Yeah, sure, they gave me to the Romans, but but they called out for my crucifixion. He's not going to do that. And just like Joseph, the Lord Jesus is going to cover that multitude of sins in Zechariah 13.6, Zechariah 13.6, when it says, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hand? Then he shall answer, those with which I received in the house of my friends. That's it. That's all he's going to say. When the Lord Jesus comes back to Israel, he fights against the enemies of the Jewish people. And then when someone notices the nail marks in his hand and asks him about them, he's not going to say anything that blames the Jewish people. His response is just going to be, oh, I got that when I was in the house of my friends. He will call the Jewish people his friends. He will say that his friends wounded him. He will call the land of Israel the house of my friends. And that's all he's going to say. But the Jewish people are going to hear and they're going to understand, and they're going to go into, therefore, a deep mourning, and then they'll be cleansed. They'll be cleansed. He'll bring them out of that by the fountain that's opened in Zechariah 13.1, and that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and uncleanness. That's the great sin and the great uncleanness that the Jewish people will be cleansed from, from wounding him. So this is the first reason why Joseph did not allow the Egyptians to be there and to hear that his brothers had sold him as a slave. So he's got all the Egyptians left now, and as all intended by Joseph, so that the Egyptians might not hear him say, I'm Joseph whom you sold into Egypt, in verse 4. But with the Egyptians all gone, then what happened, it says there in verse 45, verse 16, with the Egyptians all gone, what the Egyptians come away believing and saying was verse 16, Joseph's brethren are come. That's the message. That's the message that goes out over all of Egypt. Oh, it was a happy time. Joseph's brethren had come to Egypt. That's great. See, it was all, that was it. It was all Joseph's brethren had come. It was not Joseph's brethren hated Joseph and sold Joseph as a slave into Egypt, and now they're only forced to come down here because of the famine, and now they're in Egypt. Yeah, let's get them. 
<laughs> I mean, can you imagine the reception that the Egyptians would have given to Joseph's brother? Oh, so you're the ones who hated our governor and sold him as a slave into Egypt. He didn't want that. So he didn't want that to happen. Now, so that was the first reason. The second reason is implied actually in the last part of verse 1, where it says, while Joseph, the second reason why Joseph had all the Egyptians leave is because of what it says at the end of verse 1. While Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. Now, as we've seen, this whole affair of this reconciliation here is a very private affair. It's very private between Joseph and his family. We just happen to be so privileged to be able to be on the outside and to find a window that we can stare into and see this whole event. But this is really a very private family matter, and it didn't involve the Egyptians. And this is the way it is with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jewish people. It's a very private family matter, and the Lord Jesus and the Jewish people will be reconciled behind closed doors. And just as Joseph and his brothers brothers were reconciled behind closed doors. So these are the two reasons why Joseph cried for all the Egyptians to leave the room, basically because whatever sins his brothers were guilty of were going to be now forgotten. They're not going to be remembered. They're not going to be brought up again. And that's a beautiful picture of what God does with our sins. Once they're confessed, once repented of, they're gone. They're gone, as he says in Micah 7.19. Micah 7.19. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. Thou will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. Now, that's interesting, the depths of the sea. We know now that the deepest part of the sea, the Mariana Trench, is 36,000 feet down. Right? So you take a Mount Everest and turn it upside down, and that's how deep it is there. That's the greatest depth of the sea. And if something was to be dropped into that trench, forget about it. <laughs> You're not going to go retrieve it again. And God says that he cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. So if our former sins and the sins of others are out of God's sight, why do we need to put them out? That we need to do the same thing, put them out of our sight. When God says he cast them into the depths of the seas, then we need to read the sign that says no fishing. <laughs> now, also it says in Psalm 103.12, Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, he hath, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now the east is infinitely separated from the west because no matter how far you go east, you never start going west again. That's not true of north and south. If you go far enough north, you're going to start to be going south again. And then it says in Isaiah 38, 17, Isaiah 38, 17, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. So God says that he threw them behind his back. So he can't see them. And he can't see them so effectively that in Jeremiah 50, 20, Jeremiah 50, 20, it says that the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. So God is so good at casting him behind his back that you can't find him because he pardons him. He hides the sins. And this is the whole thrust when it talks about the 70 weeks are determined on the people, and after what the Messiah comes, is going to be cut off in Daniel, in Daniel 9. What it says there in Daniel 9, 24, is that 70 weeks 
are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. So God's description here of making reconciliation is to finish it with the transgression and make an end of all this. So grace is to make sin as if it never happened. And so therefore we, in this regard, we have a choice with the sins of others, whether we are going to be like the brother of the prodigal son or the father of the prodigal son, because beautifully they're both put there as examples like a choice. When it says in Luke 15, 22, Luke 15, 22, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring in his hand, shoes on his feet. Brother's brother's reaction was in Luke 15, 28, Luke 15, 28. He was angry, would not go in. So his father wanted to forgive that his prodigal son had sinned, whereas his brother wanted to hang his sin around his neck because, you know, because it thought it made him look good because he didn't leave home. And that's the picture of what Joseph is doing with the sins of his brother by having all the Egyptians leave the room when he mentions their sin of selling him as a slave. And that's also how Joseph is an example to us of how we should be careful to cover the sins of others and make sure that we don't spread this around town. You know, the old man inside of us, he just wants to defame others and he's going to tell others about something that someone has done wrong or is doing wrong. Why? So that they can pray. I mean, how are you going to pray unless you know? So, you know, but deep down the old man is angry and he's saying, I'm going to get even by exposing what he's done. So when we feel that time, we feel that that time has come to us and that we are in a temptation to do that. That's the time we need to remember Joseph had all the Egyptians leave the room in verse 1. Now, there's another, there's another interesting thing we can see in this verse 1, in the last part of verse 1. There was Joseph. There was his brothers. Joseph wants to make himself known unto his brothers. But first, everyone else who were not his brothers had to leave the room. It was only after they had left the room that Joseph then makes himself known to his brothers. Now, this becomes very personal to each one of us because when we see Joseph as representing the Lord Jesus Christ, when we see his brothers as representing us, then we see that like Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to make himself known unto us. And then we see the Egyptians as others or other thoughts or concerns. So it comes down to, for example, like we wake up in the morning. We wake up in the morning, there may be another person present, like a spouse, And there may be the cares and the concerns that we had before we go to sleep. And the Lord Jesus is like Joseph, who will not make himself known until we cry out, like Joseph, cause every man to go out from me. And when we get alone with God and we start to think about some pressing matter or something like that, it's like an itch, you know, an itch of of, of curiosity. I got to find this out. You know, that's the time. We need to take a stand like Joseph did in verse 1 and say, cause every man to go out from me. And when we've gotten ourselves physically alone with God, mentally alone with God, then God makes himself known to us. That's why the devotion times are called a quiet time alone with God. Now, all the Egyptians now, they left the room. Only Joseph is left there with his brothers. And we can imagine his brothers just thinking, what's going on? And what's, what's he going to say? 
You know, and, and, and when the last Egyptian has left and the door's been shut, now all the eyes now are focused on Joseph to see what is he going to say. And he said, and what his first message is in verse two, he wept aloud <laughs> and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. You know, so as soon as the Egyptian leaves, Joseph just wails so loudly that the whole palace hears him crying like this. Now, this is Joseph's first statement to them. <laughs> his first statement to his brothers are not words. His first statement to his brothers are with tears. I mean, tears and crying are his introduction to what he's going to say to them. Now, what do you think they were thinking then when they saw him wailing and crying? I mean, what they were witnessing now was Joseph breaking down in front of them. There's so much passion in verse 2. Joseph did not say in a passionate, indifferent ways, okay, now that all the Egyptians have gone, I just want to tell you that I'm your brother Joseph. Now let's have breakfast. They caught some good fish. Let's eat. You know, that, that's not what happened. I mean, there's a huge amount of passion in verse 2, and it shows us an example of how we should be passionately concerned when we bring to the lost the gospel of reconciliation with God. Now, what we see here is that in Joseph, there had been a great amount of tears that had been dammed up inside of Joseph for so long, and it swelled so high that now the dam couldn't hold it any longer, and the tears just spill over the dam. So the brothers don't know at this point what's going on, but one thing is clear is that this old hard stand of this governor is now gone and finished, and now we see a tender, broken man in front of us. Now, when the first wave of tears had stopped, Joseph looks at his brothers, and he just says two words, because you notice in the King James there that the word am is in italics. So the two words are, I, Joseph. Ani Yosef. That's what he says. Those two words are like an earthquake in their souls. It's hard for us to imagine the paralysis that happened to those brothers of fear and awe. This is really shock and awe, you know, and they hear, I, Joseph. I mean, they couldn't believe that the governor was Joseph. And all they could think about instantly as a replay is what they'd done to him. And now they're afraid of that Joseph is going to turn on because of how they hated him and what they'd done to him. But this, all this earthquake comes from two words, I, Joseph. And this is the first prophetic illustration that we have in the Bible of how the Lord Jesus will be treated by the Jewish people and how the brothers treated Joseph and how the Jewish people would assume that the Lord Jesus was dead and gone like the brothers had assumed that Joseph was gone. And how the Lord Jesus was going to bring pressure on the Jewish people, like Joseph brought pressure on his brothers, and how at the time of the ultimate pressure, when the Jewish people are at the breaking point, that the Lord Jesus will make himself known to the Jewish people, just like the ultimate pressure point here on the brothers when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So this is the first prophetic illustration of all this, that has and will happen between the Lord Jesus and the Jewish people. And then the other prophetic illustration of what will happen between the Lord Jesus and the Jewish people is seen in the conversion of Paul, conversion of Saul to Paul in Acts 9.3. Acts 9.3 where it says, as he journeyed, Paul was journeying, he came to Damascus, near to Damascus, and suddenly 
there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So at the time of the ultimate pressure with light all around him, Paul just asked one question, who? Who are you, God? And Paul hears two words, I, Jesus, Ani, Yeshua. That's what he hears. And that will be, that's the second prophetic illustration. That will be what the Jewish people will hear when they are at the ultimate pressure point of being, a breaking point of being destroyed by armies from all the nations of the world. Kind of looks like the United Nations. Only here it's united against Israel. And the Lord Jesus, which is pretty much the way it is now. And the Lord Jesus returns and destroys all those nations that came to destroy the Jewish people. And that's in Zechariah 14.2. Zechariah 14.2, where God says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. Houses rifled, women ravished. Half the city goes into captivity. Residue of the people should not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And then in Zechariah 13.6, Zechariah 13.6, one shall say it to him, as we already saw, what are those wounds in thine hand? He'll answer, those wounds, where I was wounded in the house of my friends. Then in Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah 12.10, God pours upon the house of David, upon the house of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace, supplications. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his, for his only son and shall be in bitterness. And then finally in Zechariah 13.1, Zechariah 13.1, and that day shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the habits of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. So the nations come to destroy the Jewish people. God comes. He destroys the enemies of the Jewish people. Someone sees that wounds, asks them. He says, I got these in the house of my friends, and they in essence hear him saying, Ani Yeshua, I am, I Jesus, just as there was here with Joseph. Then comes the wonderful fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and Jewish sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. So that's the reconciliation that starts with two words, I, Joseph. And just as we're seeing here in verse three, how the reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers all started with two words, I, Joseph, that's what's going to happen with the Jewish people. Well, that's as far as we'll go this morning. So we'll continue next week. Father, thank you so much for capturing this wonderful reconciliation and for causing us to see parallels in our life and the parallels in the life of the Jewish nation. And so we pray, Lord, that we would have the tender heart of Joseph displayed against those who did so much wrong to him and that we would also have the passion to reach the lost in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. You're invited to a Perm celebration Sunday, February 25th at 4.30 p.m. at the Friendship with God Fellowship Church. Purim is a day of celebration for the Jewish people commemorating Esther's victory over Haman's plot to exterminate the Jewish people. Join Tom Canner and the Friendship of God Fellowship Church as we learn about the Purim Feast while experiencing some amazing Jewish desserts. Located at the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee, California. For more information, call 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scantibodies Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com.